All right, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Genesis. Now, the last time we were here in chapter 32, we see where Laban had departed and gone back to Haran and Jacob is moving forward towards the land of promise. And so on his way there, he encamps at a place that he would later name Manahaim, which literally means double camp. But he encamps there and also he notices that God was also with the elect angels of God. God, well, God was also present in the camp. And God had simply done this to ensure to Jacob that everything would be just fine. You don't have to worry about Esau. But nevertheless, Jacob was still afraid and God continued to work with him and to develop his faith. So Jacob sent out emissaries to Esau to let Esau know that he was coming back home. And then the emissaries returned back, Jacob's envoy that he sent. They returned back and told Jacob that Esau was coming to meet him with 400 men. Now, 400 men is overkill for a simple escort. So quite naturally, Jacob began to panic and he became extremely fearful. So he began to do what was normal for him to do, rely on his own devices. And so he began to, he purposed to plan to separate his families into group in groups in order to protect them. And so he decided to send a gift. He sent out a gift in five separate lots that as each gift, as each group of people with a servant, gifts of camels and, and goats and things of that nature, as they would approach Esau, the idea was it would, if Esau was angry, it would assuage his anger by the gift. So gift number one, and then a little bit down the road, gift number two, all the way up to the fifth gift. And this, he was hoping, would appease Esau. And we also saw where Jacob was, was seemingly uh, 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 willing to give up that patriarchal blessing that his father had bestowed on him. We see that in Genesis chapter 27. So, but nevertheless, Jacob was still concerned and worried. So he sent his family to the other side of the ford of Jabbok, and then Jacob himself returned back into Manahaim and back to where he was. And there God wrestled with Jacob. And the whole point of it is strengthen, encourage his faith that Jacob would trust God, believe God, hold on to God. Jacob prevailed and therefore God gave him a new name. He made Jacob look over his past character by asking him what was his name? Jacob, deceiver, supplanter, conniver. And God says, no more. From this day forward, your name is Israel, one who contends with God and with men and has prevailed. And so God gave him the new name. And in that whole wrestling event, it was the point of it was to increase Jacob's faith. Trust God that when you do meet Esau, God will protect you. Okay. So now we actually get into chapter 33. And Jacob finally meets Esau. Then Jacob lifted his eyes and looked and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. He put the maids and their children in front and Leah and her children next and Rachel and Joseph last, but he himself passed on ahead of them and bowed down to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. 
Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. He lifted his eyes and saw the women and the children and said, who are these with you? So he said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maids came near with their children and they bowed down. Leah likewise came near with her children and they bowed down. And afterward, Joseph came near with Rachel and they bowed down. And he said, what do you mean by all this company, which I have met? And he said to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have plenty, my brother, let what you have be your own. Jacob said, no, please. Now, if I have found favor in your sight, then take my present from my hand for I see your face as one sees the face of God and you have received me favorably. Please take my gift, which has been brought to you because God has graciously has dealt graciously with me and because I have plenty. Thus he urged him and he took it. All right. So now the meeting has began. And so when we look at verse number one, when, and the, the, the language of the text is designed to bring us into Jacob's emotional state. When he saw Esau, he lifted up his eyes and behold Esau <laughs> and the 400 men. So we can see that Jacob is basically entering into almost in almost a sense of panic, so to speak, but he's not uncontrolled panic, but fear has truly indeed gripped his heart. And so he continues to devise a plan. And remember this. Now, the whole idea of Jacob devising a plan is simply to show that his faith is not perfect and, and, and it's okay. And as I said earlier in talking about Jacob's faith in chapter 32, let us not be too critical of Jacob. Faith has to grow and it takes time and no one has absolutely perfect faith. Probably only somebody who ever had absolutely perfect faith was Jesus, the Messiah. And so we can see that Jacob's faith needs to grow. But, and so what does he do? It's evidenced in him once again, separating his family. He separates them with the maids and their children. Remember, uh, Zilpah, Bilhah. Then he brings after her, after them, Leah and her children. And then after them, his favorite wife and son, uh, Jacob and uh, I'm sorry, Rachel and Joseph. And that's why they're last simply because they're favorites of his. But it does not mean that Jacob did not care for them or Jacob only cared for um, Rachel and Joseph because Joe, I'm sorry, Jacob went before all of them so that he would take the brunt of whatever Esau would do. If Esau was angry, he would be the one to take it and give his wives, the handmaidens, as well as the wives, chance to get away. But the point is, Jacob went in front of them. That is courageous for him to do. And in obeisance, that is reverential respect. Okay. He bowed down on the ground to Esau seven times. So the point is he can see Esau. Esau can see him and Esau sees this man coming. He comes closer, bow down to the ground, walks up a little closer. He bows down to the ground again. He does this seven times. And the whole point is, and, and you, you know this yourself. It is a sign of humility. It is 
to appease Esau, to assuage his anger. Jacob. So what God has done, this conniving, manipulative, self-interested Jacob, God has hammered a lot of that mess out of him over 20 years through Laban. Okay. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Always rest assured the scripture is right. Remember what Paul says. And see, these things can be derived from scripture itself. And we know that all things work together for the good, for those who are called of God. It, even though Jacob went to the household of Laban 20 years when they only thought it would be just a few days, 20 years and Laban mistreated him. That's not right either. It's not right. But what I am trying to say is God can work through whatever means is necessary to develop our character. So God used the wrong acts of Laban to discipline, to train, to sanctify, which literally means to make into what God wants him to be. Jacob. And now we see a new spirit of humility in Jacob. And we don't see so much of a conniving spirit. But anyway, enough rambling on that. So, so he bowed to the ground. Jacob noticed his fearfulness when he prepares to meet Esau. But look what God has done. When Esau sees Jacob, he runs to meet him. He grabs him. He begins to kiss him and they both wept. God has done what none of Jacob's connivings can do, what no man can do. What do you mean God does what no man can do? God can touch the heart. God can touch the heart. And here God has touched Esau's heart and softened it and made Jacob acceptable to him once again. And notice as Jacob talks to Esau, Jacob refers to himself as my servant. He refers to Esau as my Lord. But notice what Esau refers to Jacob as in these passages, my brother, my brother. So he has indeed accepted him. So now that they have met, Esau begins to ask him about all of this company that he has been seeing before he actually met Jacob and Jacob makes him aware that these were the gracious gifts that are the, and we're speaking of the cattle and things of that nature that God has given to him while he was in Padan Aran. And so he tells Esau to accept these things. And also Esau asked him concerning these women. And, and, and he said, these basically are my wives and my children that God has given to me. And I like the way that Jacob says graciously that he owed me nothing. God was simply good to me. But anyway, and so concerning though that huge gift, we remember that it was over 500 uh, uh, sheep and goats and things of that nature that Jacob had made as a gift to Esau concerning those things. Uh, Esau said, it's okay. I have enough. So what we also see concerning Esau is, is that God had prospered Esau as well. But nevertheless, Jacob, again, I think it shows an indication of his lack of faith. It's not there. He's trying to secure 
making absolutely certain that everything is going to be okay between he and Esau, between him and Esau, he says, please take the gift. So Jacob pressed him to take the gift and Esau received it. And Jacob said, because when I saw you and you received me favorably, it was if I had seen the face of God. And this is nothing more than a reflection of what happened at chapter 32 when Jacob wrestled with God. Remember, he named the place Peniel, which literally means face of God. And so notice as he talks to Esau, seeing your face is like that. It is an indication that Jacob understands it is indeed God who has intervened in this situation just like he promised and he has touched and turned the heart of Esau. Okay, so now let's continue. Then Esau said, let us take our journey and go and I will go before you. But he said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail and that the flocks and herds which are nursing are a care to me. And if they are driven hard one day, all the flocks will die. Please let my Lord pass on before his servant and I will proceed at my leisure according to the pace of the cattle that are before me and according to the pace of the children until I come to my Lord at Seir. Esau said, well, please let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. Uh, Jacob journeyed to Sukkoth and built for himself a house and made booze for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is Sukkoth. All right. So now that they have met, everything is wonderful. Esau has received a gift from Jacob's hand. Esau simply says to Jacob, okay, let us be about our way and I'll go before you. Now, it is clear that Jacob is literally being cautious. The Bible doesn't say why, but Jacob is seemingly, un he, he's seemingly unnerved by being in the company of Esau and all of these men. And so in a very wise and a discreet way so that he wouldn't, he wouldn't offend Esau, Jacob says to Esau, he said, he said, no, he said, you know, we have a bunch of little children with us. And also we have small nursing animals. These animals are so small that they can't keep up with you and your 400 men. They can, if I run them too hard in one day, these animals would die. You know, the children can't keep up. He said, if you will, my Lord, and notice he was constantly polite with Esau. He said, just go on ahead on to Seir at your own pace. Go on ahead and will and let me travel at the pace of the small animals and the small children. Let me just travel at that pace and later on, I'll meet you in Seir. And now that sounded reasonable to Esau. And then so Esau said, fine, I tell you what, then let me leave you some men. And the idea is men to protect you and men to escort you. And Jacob refused this as well. Jacob is not so much as rejecting anything from Esau, but it is clear that he wants a sense of distance between himself and Esau. Okay. So he's being very cautious uh, for some reason or another. So Esau goes on to Mount Seir and Jacob goes to a place called Sukkoth. 
Now it's interesting. Sukkoth is literally in the opposite direction of Seir. And that show there is no biblical evidence where Jacob ever even went to Seir. So Esau went back home and Jacob went the other way. Okay. So, but now as he goes in Sukkoth, this becomes a place of a semi, it's not permanent, but a semi-permanent residence, if you let me say it that way, because there Jacob builds a house for himself. Okay. Not only does he build a house, he also builds, builds shelters for his animals. And that's why he names the place Sukkoth. Sukkoth in Hebrew means booths or shelters. And that's what he built for the animals. All right. So now we continue. Now Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. When he came from Padan Aram and camped before the city, he bought the piece of land where he had pitched his tent from the hand of the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. All right. Now Jacob is finally in the land of promise. Now, why? Sukkoth is a little bit, is a few miles outside of the land of promise. Okay. And the Bible didn't say why Jacob didn't just simply go into the land of promise. Just simply told us where he made that semi residential stop. All right. But now, now he is in the land of promise outside of a place by the name of Shechem and the terminology of scripture. He came safely. And here is a reflection of Genesis chapter 28. Remember when God gave Jacob the dream, the promise that God would protect him and be with him, bring him back into the land of promise. And we also remember in chapter 31, when God spoke to Jacob and told him to go back home and leave Padan Aran. And now we see the fulfillment of God's word because it says what? As God had promised to be with him and safely return him home, God has done just that. Now, he is not at the house of his father Isaac at this time. Scripture doesn't say, but nevertheless, he is back in the land of promise. Okay. Now it is, we do want to take note of Shechem because it said he was on the outskirts of Shechem and he camped outside of the city. Now this was custom for people to do in that time. When you were a non citizen, you camped or you stayed outside of the city. We saw that same action being done by Lot. Okay. Lot did the same thing outside of Sodom until he became a citizen of Sodom and moved into the city. But however, however, there are issues concerning the intermingling in the city as we will talk about in chapter 34, but not right now. And so he bought a piece of land there the same way that Abraham bought a piece of land to bury his wife. Remember the cave of Machpelah to bury his wife, Sarah. We see also Jacob buying a piece of land for a hundred pieces of money here from the sons of Hamor outside of Shechem. And this becomes a sense of a down payment. Okay. Although God said that he would give to Abraham and his descendants, all of the land of promise here, God allows Jacob to buy a piece of land for money 
for money and this will function as a down payment to the great promise that God will fulfill in the millennial kingdom. That is when Jesus returns in the second advent, there will be Jacob will be resurrected and the fulfillment of God's promise. He won't just have a partial of land as we see here. He will have all of the land as God has promised him. But nevertheless, this is what we see. Jacob having this piece of land that he purchases. And then he erects an altar to God and he calls it the God of the God, the God of Israel. Now, it means that he erected a place for public of public worship for himself, for himself, his family and his clan. But it is a public worship. When I say public worship, I mean for, for anybody to see, you can see it. Okay. The, the reason why I'm stressing this is that is the function. That is the function of God's choice for Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the nation of Israel to preserve the knowledge of God, to preserve and keep as observance of the worship of the true God in the sight of the Gentiles, the Gentiles who don't know God, the Gentiles who are worshiping idols. So Jacob here is fulfilling his duty as the elect of God so that the world may know God. Why? Because they don't. And so now as he enters into public, and when I say public worship, don't think of like some church where everybody can just walk inside. The idea is that can be seen by all. Okay. So as he, as he sets forward this worship that could be seen by all, this altar, he calls it the God of Israel. And the whole idea that I'm driving once again is that distinction. This is Jacob's God. And here we see for the first time him using the name that God had just given him. Okay, thanks for joining me on that one, guys. That was pretty short in comparison to the rest. But come with me next time as we get into chapter 34 and I begin to tell you those things that I was talking about, about Shechem and why it was probably best for the Jewish people, for Jacob and his people to stay outside of the city. All right, join me next time and we'll get into all of that. See you then.